0: Yo, those are some nice kicks. Oh, thanks, man. You collect sneakers? Oh, yeah. You think I could get a sneak peek in your closet? Man, fuck no. The Sock Jig Sneaker Podcast. Has to look up what gaslighting means every single time. Welcome to episode 58 of the Sockjig Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Sockjig. You can follow me on Twitter at Sockjig and on Instagram as well. For this episode, I'll be talking about the born and raised Dunk SB release and also talk about Kith Toronto opening and how I was invited there and why I was invited there. I'll talk about the opening night party and the people I met, including Joe LaPuma. Maybe I gotta like clickbait this or something. You wouldn't believe what Joe La Puma said to me. <laughs> Anyways... You'll find out soon enough. But first, we'll talk about what I've picked up, what I've missed on, some upcoming releases, and what's on feet. On feet lately, I've been wearing the Linen Air Force Ones, and I'll tell the story about those a little bit later. I've been wearing the Habibi SB Dunks, and I've also been wearing some Salomon XT6 Gore-Tex. In terms of pickups i picked up the a coldwall white air max plus from the coldwall site maybe i should have waited and got it on discount a little bit later but i'm a big fan of those shoes and you know i tried to get the blue ones afterwards but i slept in because they were dropping at 5 a.m my time and kind of regretting it now i also picked up the kith new balance 1700 rococo red and i'll tell the story about those a little bit later as well too I picked up the Born and Raised Dunk SB, and I will talk about those a little bit later as well, too. I have a Born and Raised release segment. And I this last week, I picked up the Concepts C-Note New Balance, and I got those from the VIP drop. And, you know, I like the shoe, but I think I might have some buyer's remorse about it that, you know, maybe I shouldn't have spent $255 on it. But then you want to go back and double down. No, no, the shoe is nice and I will wear it and I will begrudgingly like it. So, you know, it's shipped. I don't have it in hand. I assume I will like it when I get it in hand. When companies do these re-retros, I don't think they should re-retro old collabs. I think they should make it a 2.0 and put a twist on it or something. These, there wasn't that much of a twist. Some of the outsole was a bit different and there was concepts branding or something added and some of the shades of the panels were a bit different but if you're going to bring back a retro and it is basically the same as the 1.0, I think it's time to make them ultra limited. This whole big stock era, I think it's winding down and we're going to go into this ultra limited era for a little bit, which is a segment I will do on a future podcast, but I really think they should have made like whatever the bare minimum is 1000, 2000 pairs of these, maybe they did. And that's what sat, I don't know, but. The fact that they were even sitting in size 12 a couple hours later is just wild and just shows you a sign of the times and if you like the shoe and you want the shoe that's great they're easier to get than ever this is your time to shine so my warning is get it while it lasts because I don't think it's going to last too much longer. The companies are going to adjust. The brands are going to start lowering stock, but this is just a quick preview. I'll dig a little bit deeper onto this in a future episode In terms of other misses. I really wanted the terror squad air force ones as well too. I could not easily get them in size 12. And so those I just kind of moved on. If I didn't get them, I was going to chase them. I was going to pay 200 bucks or whatever they are on resale on coat for them either. The J Balvin 3, I missed out on those as well too. I tried for that drop. I was in Toronto at the time and just on my phone on the street and I missed out on those. That one I really like, but again, I don't want to go back and spend whatever it is, four or five hundred bucks for them. In terms of what else is coming out for the rest of the year, number one on the list is uh reverse Grinches that are coming out. Jerry Lorenzo is supposed to debut all his sneakers, but all the stuff that we've seen so far, you know. Nothing's really super standing out for me at this point, but we'll wait for the marketing and the full story for that. Joe Freshgoods has hinted at a New Balance release as well, too, in a recent interview. So I'm assuming that'll be good as well, too. Another shoe that's coming out soon is this Nike Dot Swoosh Tina J sneaker, which stands for this is not a JPEG. You know, I, I'm not an NFT guy, but I think that name sucks. I thought it was Minaj, like Tanaj at first. I thought it was like Beyonce's mom got a collab. So I don't know what's going on over there. I know artifact and dot swoosh seem like two separate entities, both doing air force ones in different ways. And so, you know, I was thinking about this and I tweeted out, I wonder if Nike regrets buying artifact for a billion dollars. And, you know, I was just thinking they must because of how the NFT whole market has cratered. And really the point was they probably could have bought it for, you know, 70, 80, 90% cheaper if they bought it a few months later or even now. Would you rather spend a hundred million or 1 billion? And you know, that day I got a whole bunch of angry monkey pick avatars in my replies. No, no, they made their money back from sales and royalties and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I was like Homer's brain when he's already checked out of the conversation, but I got to sit there and read this. My brain was like, I'm getting out of here. Step, 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 step. Other people were like, you know, they didn't actually pay a billion. Where did you get that news from? You know, if you just search, Artifact, Nike, it was rumored that they paid over 1 billion. I don't know what they paid. I don't even care to look it up. I didn't do the search. I just remember seeing those at the time. There was one guy who said, you know, it was actually good that they bought it. Then it was good to buy at the peak. They caught the bull run. I don't know. That's just how monkey brains think. I guess it's good to spend a billion when you could have spent a hundred million later, I guess. But as I've said before, I was only mildly interested in this to see if this was going to be the wave, if this was going to be. The way sneaker access works in the future. So that's why I bought that Outforce One $20 NFT or whatever they had. And that's the reason why we're seeing this. It's because if you pay, you play. If Nike spends $1 billion on something, you're gonna see it play out. It's just like high draft picks in the NFL. If you bought, you know, MySpace for $4 million, you can shut that down because it's four million dollars and no one's gonna give a shit. But if you bought it for a billion dollars you're gonna have myspace banners all over the place so is this artifact stuff just like you know the modern version of myspace something that's useless i don't know probably whatever it is the monkey avatar people really do give a shit about it so they are hyped on tina j sneakers but i'm not i i don't don't care it's not enough for me to care at this point the ones that are coming out these dunk genesis robotic stuff that the whole aesthetic i think is too shitty and too, uh, immature. I think it's like a child's version of what the future sneaker looks like. They could be doing something cool with, um, a fragment or other things and taking it in a total different direction of what the future could be like, but instead they're taking it in, you know, what Elmo would draw for a futuristic sneaker. So because they spent a billion dollars on it or whatever it is, that's why they have teams and employees and. You know, I'm all for people having jobs and people being on the sneakers app live, talking about this, you know, Nike hasn't shut it down. Like other companies have like Disney and stuff like that. So, but whatever they have, this Tina J, these teams, the sneakers live and stuff. It's not enough to win me over. I love sneakers. I got a podcast about it. I'm a tech nerd. I can write you Java code right now, but I'm not spending 700 Ethereum on some Murakami Air Force one. The only Murakami I recognize is Haruki Murakami. And so, as I said, I was only paying attention to it. If it meant this is the way sneaker access was going to go. I don't think it's happening. It's, if it does, it's in this kind of child's version of the future that I don't really give a shit about. So monkey avatars have at it. The born and raised release also happened. And as we know, uh, RIP Responto, when he died. All stock went to born and raised for the U S there was no sneakers drop. There's no skate shop drop. And you know, as we saw on Twitter, as we do these days, there's all kinds of fake numbers. There's 5k of these, there's 20 K of these, there's 40 K, whatever it is. I assume it's in the 10 to 20 range. So probably in the middle at 15 K, when you see these screenshots of monitors that show you what the stock numbers are for each size and You know, as some people pointed out already on Twitter, that if there's a size 12 and a half listed, that it's wrong because Nike SB does not make size 12 and a half. So that's a quick way of seeing that this is just a fake screenshot, but not everyone knows that. And then, you know, just to go on a small tangent, there's a famous story about Van Halen of how they had in their tour riders that there has to be a bowl of M&Ms and there can't be any green M&Ms in that bowl and you know people took that as a story that these guys are very eccentric that someone's got to go out there and pick out all the green M&Ms and uh, look at these rock stars asking for all kinds of bullshit but really the point of that was that they had a specific rider and it had specific instructions in that rider as well for the setup of the stage the lighting the fireworks or whatever and those had safety requirements in there and those all had to be followed and so they knew that if they came to a venue and they went to the back and if they saw that there was a bowl of M&Ms and if they saw that there was green M&Ms in there, that that meant that that venue had not read that writer properly. So it was really a safety thing that they wanted to make sure that they don't, you know, die out there from some light falling on you. So that was just an easy way for them to see if the venue had read that whole document. So same thing here, if you see a size 12 and a half, it's fake. So, How born and raised handled this release, you know, they had an in-store raffle, which had a long lineup. And I know they didn't do that properly as well too. I guess they cut it off early, but what it seemed like they did do was they just gave early access to friends and family, to raffle winners and to loyal customers that they went through their database and they found the people who had bought all kinds of product from them over the year, and they gave them access to a special friends and family site. So that's how I got access to this site. Thank you to a friend who messaged me out of the blue that morning and said, Hey, keep a close eye on your email. And that was it. That was the whole message. And so then I got an email saying, Hey, check into this friends and family website. So thank you so much for him for helping me out. I was able to go in on the site in the morning and buy my size 12 in the born and raised dunk. So when I bought my order number was like in the five thousands or so. So at that point, I know that on these, new sites they started at number 1,000. So probably 4,000 had already sold by then. I know they had clothing in there, so there might be other orders, but it gives you a ballpark idea of how many were probably gone before the release. So if I'm saying, like I said, if they had 15, 20K before the release, a big chunk, I'm assuming were gone in those first two hours or so. And that VIP FNF site that they made was made so it was whitelisted so only certain accounts or email addresses could check out. If anyone else got a password and they weren't on the whitelist, they weren't able to check out. I checked out about an hour after the site went up and around 4,000 were gone at then, but it was up for an hour later, so I'm assuming another 4,000 were gone after that. So the friends and family site wrapped up at 11am pacific time and then an hour later was when the regular release was supposed to happen. So whatever was left over, I'm assuming was transferred over to the other domain. And that new domain change had leaked earlier in the day and they didn't tweak it or move it to another one or have a decoy set up or anything. At that point, I think they were just letting it fly because to them, they had already satisfied a good chunk of their customers already. And this was just the leftovers, like we've done enough, this is what you got. And hopefully we covered our best customers with the early access. So on the actual official site, I was trying for my friend in a size 10 and a half. I just got a whole bunch of Shopify errors. There's no question or anything. No, you know, what color is an orange? Just to draw a box around a cat. I got like a six-minute queue, which I knew right away. That's you know too long. I'm not gonna get it. I probably could have switched to a size, you know, five and a half or so. But you know, I it, but at that point it was sold out, and I just left. So. Born and Raised had put an Instagram post out after the release, after everything sold out, you know, it said something like, you know, we we wish we had 100,000 pairs and even though we had the best bot protection money can buy. And, you know, there's going to be pushback to this, people who are upset that they couldn't get a pair. I think for us as consumers, as customers, it's 100% fair to criticize Shopify and how they handle these kind of drops. You know, there were site errors, the stuff was leaked early, there was not enough done tweaked to stop bots or anything this time. I'm sure if you could do like a post-release interview with Shopify and ask them questions, they would probably just stonewall you like an NFL coach does. Like, hey, we gave it a go this time, we gave our best effort, you know, our defense couldn't cut it this time, their offense was running wild, we gotta make some adjustments, and you know, we'll regroup and get them next time. And if born and raised was at that same kind of press conference, post-release press conference, they'd be like, Hey, we let Shopify take care of that. You know, they're the coach. They're the experts at this. It's the best in market solution for anti-bot right now. You're not going to use big cartel or the rinky dink thing that Stone Island had for their release recently. Born and raised is probably like, Hey, we paid for Shopify. Plus it handled this VIP friends and family release. Our good chunk of our sneakers are gone the monies in the bank. In terms of how it went, kudos on a job done. But the day after the release is when we saw every bulk reseller flexing clips of the dunk that they had. I saw probably five or six from different people. The one that got the most blowback was from Private Selection, which said R.I.P. Sponto, and it had a whole bunch of backdoor sneakers behind him. Ian from Private Selection eventually deleted it after people were You know, upset about it, upset about the RIP Spanto caption, especially with the backdoor sneaker. And I made a joke about it saying, you know, these resellers are saying RIP Spanto while they're making a pyramid of boxes behind them. Obviously, I think it's disrespectful to say R.I.P. Sponto with a bulk flex behind you. But, you know, at this point, I've kind of seen it all. You know, we saw it with Kobe's and off-whites that when when someone dies, nothing really is off-limit. You don't need to tell me the game is the game, but, you know, you also don't need to be crass about it. I saw a few people talk about, you know, we need to bring gatekeeping back. And I was thinking about this, like, how can we bring gatekeeping back? Is there a way to bring it back? You know, I'm probably not the right person for this because I can't handle the stress. I don't want to start fights and then having to argue about them all day. You know, I can make jokes about it, but that's about as far as I'll go. But if we brought gatekeeping back, I just assume it would eventually start a race war with sneakers. Someone's going to say, you know, sneakers would get back to its glory if we got rid of these white resellers and then there'd be blowback on that and there'd be a Twitter space. So I get why people reminisce about gatekeeping and how it should be brought back. But in 2023, 2024, I think this is where any kind of gatekeeping would eventually go. But back to these posts with all these sneakers that are, you know, allegedly backdoored, you know, what else could it be? It's obviously that the back door was wide open. And if they had, like I said, 15K, 20K sneakers and say half went out the site, the front door, and the other half went out the back door. Can we really say anything about this? Does Born and Raised have a pass? And honestly... They kind of do. They could have done anything with this drop. No one's going to come out and say that any of this publicly, but they could have positioned it as anything they want behind the scenes. We're making good money from this. The money goes to his family, to his young kids. They could be thinking anything like that, but they're not going to publicly say that. I also saw a lot of whataboutisms. Well, what about... You know, the people who didn't even know about Born and Raised before this, even though, you know, the whole point of a collab is to get your name out there and to gain new customers and support your best customers. The other main "what whataboutism is what about Born and Raised? They're the ones who are backdooring. Blame them. And I was saying this on Twitter that one is done quietly and one is done loudly. A merchant backdooring is usually done quietly. It's the people who actually get the sneakers and have to flex it and market it are the ones that have to be loud because that's the whole point. It's marketing for them. But it was interesting that it seemed like there was an embargo on all these resellers that they did not post all these photos the day of the release or the day before the release. They all came the day after the release. Either we got the very early on pairs, which I guess were either Stolen or backdoored early on from skate shops that got it, whatever it was. But up to the release and the video, the Born and Raised release and everything, Born and Raised had kind of full control of that process. And then only the day after did you see posts from resellers with all these pairs. So they do have a code. They listen to the code. They can listen to embargoes. So if you have a code, maybe you got to update the code to say do not put R I P in the flex that you're gonna do. But as for people who missed out, like I said, there's no easy answer. You could make it an EQL raffle. Your chances go way down. Chances go way down. If you're an experienced person who buys sneakers online, if you're just a random Joe blow, who's five minutes late to release, then your chances go up. And as born and Ray said, they can make more pairs if they had a hundred thousand of them. But if you make a hundred thousand, the shoe is not special. Scarcity is what makes it special. RIP Spanto, but this. Sneaker was never designed to be a memorial shoe, even though it says in loving memory of, but that's just their catchphrase. But we all know the sneaker game is you want it. So you get the sneaker and others don't, but it's a reasonable ask to say, Hey, please do not be obvious with the backdooring. Don't, you know, slap us in the face. Don't give us a mediocre release and then slap us in the face with these bulk guys afterwards. <laughs> An update to this over the weekend, we saw that there was a screenshot of born and raised saying that there were some canceled orders going out. And in the email of the screenshot, it allegedly says, you know unfortunately we had to cancel some orders from the 12 a.m drop which is incorrect it was 12 p.m in order to fulfill some friends and family orders so i saw this and i tweeted at the time that you know maybe transparency is not a good idea that you shouldn't be saying things like this to customers but looking at this now i think it's probably a fake email i didn't see anyone else saying about this the guy who posted it raffi collects is some youtuber guy and in the name in the screenshot of the email is abdul it's not Rafi. so i assume someone just sent it to him, and he posted it. He also did not post any follow-up tweet about that canceled email, so that's why I'm just leaning that it's probably fake. So I saw a lot of blowback on it, and like I said, I was, I guess, part of the blowback, but I don't think Born and Raised sent this email. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe we'll see more cancels going forward after this podcast is out. But just like another thing, as I was saying in in this segment, that if there was a post-release press conference and you could talk to Born and Raised, I don't think you'd see them be very transparent. You're not going to see a born and raised spokesman in a Dodgers hat and tattoos all over his face saying, yeah, we backdoored a whole bunch of pairs. The rest we gave to our friends and best customers, you know, the little smidgen that was left we put online. So fuck it. That's what you got. That's what you're getting. So long. Another thing that I'll add that I forgot to mention in the earlier parts is I heard people compare this to the trophy room release, and this was not like the trophy room release at all. Trophy room release, hundred percent of it was basically backdoored in the public raffle for it. There was one confirmed winner who was like a friend of Marcus. So one winner is much different than say 8,000, 10,000 people getting early access on the uh, FNF site. So overall, of course it wasn't the best drop, but in my mind, they have a pass and I understand. So, I traveled from Vancouver to Toronto for the Kith Toronto opening party, and the store opened the next day as well, too. I'll talk about my experience there, why I was there, the people that I met, and some overall thoughts. Main reason I was there was to support my friend, Jonathan Crandall, aka Cran, who was hired as the Kith Toronto director. I went to support a friend on his big day. I know once I started tweeting about it, uh, people thought maybe I was there for clout, or I was there to get plugged, or... Uh, Other things like that, you know, I did not travel all the way for product or to get plugged. I can get product or I can get plugged. I went to support a friend. And honestly, when I first heard about that there might be a party and that I might possibly be invited, I've thought, Toronto, that's like a five-hour flight from Vancouver. That's a long ways to go. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, when is something like this ever going to come up again? I'm getting older. How many good years do I really got left? It really did, you know, go down that lane of thinking about experiences over things and products. And so honestly, once you go down that lane, your your mind is already made up. So I was like, well, come on, Cinderella, we got to get you ready for the ball. So I had known about Kith opening a store in Toronto for a while, but really it had been leaked almost this time last year. I remember AM notify had posted about it in like September, 2022. And then obviously in these last few months, it had become obvious that there was a store opening as they were hiring and, you know, finishing up the store. So when I heard that my friend was up for the job and got the job, man, I was hyped. It was just like, you know, when your friend's success feels like your success and it feels like you're all leveling up, that's what it felt like to me. So, you know, you're giving support, you're sharing your own thoughts and experiences from your own job that might be beneficial to your friend who's applying for and got the big job. So I know I'm probably not capturing how happy I was, but I was happy. I was just ecstatic. I was happy for my buddy, Cran. I was happy to see good things happening to good people. So obviously I was going to keep the secret. Honestly, I even put a moratorium on kith jokes. I just did not want to put bad vibes out there while my friend was going for this big time position. And if you know me, you know, I love a good joke about Ronnie reminiscing about sitting on the stoop in the nineties. You know, growing up in New York City in the 90s, I always wanted to own an NFT. Like, that is just a good joke. And as I'll talk about later, a good joke is a good joke. And sometimes I do things just in the service of a joke and not because I'm a troll or a hater. But, you know, I didn't want to be the source of any leaks. I wasn't going to talk about it. I didn't want to put bad vibes out there. I didn't want anything to come out where it came out from me on a tweet or something, and it ended up jeopardizing my friend's chances for a big job. And honestly, I was probably overthinking it. Like, I don't think that would actually happen, but I was just being careful. And the way Kith does this with these international spots is they have a director in places for, uh, Japan. And I think they had one in Paris at one time too, but maybe not now. And the, the point is that you get someone who's local to the community, who's part of the community to be the, the director, the ambassador, the face, everything. And if you know Japan and you know Japanese culture, you know that this is especially important there because of how nationalism works there, how they view their culture as being the culture and not wanting to be influenced by others. So if you want a foothold in places like Japan, you have to have a Japanese presence with Japanese people. If a foreign company came in and they put some white guy in there, it probably wouldn't work. And in Japan, they got a guy named Junya who does that. And, you know, in other cities like Aspen or Miami or Hawaii or whatever, you don't need that position because Ronnie is that position. He's the face of the company there. But anyways, back to the party itself. I'm not sure about others, but I wasn't confirmed, confirmed for the party till a couple weeks out. I didn't really talk about it with people that I'll be there and kind of waiting for ronnie to post about it because that's kind of i guess the format that he follows ronnie is the first person to post about it and i guess he posted about the new balance 1700 sneakers on the monday the the week that the store is opening and then it was until the next day where the kith accounts and the videos and the blog posts and stuff came after that so i didn't really talk about it with friends that i know in the city that will be there because like i said i didn't want to be the source of any leaks and probably overthinking it but I figured I'm going there to meet friends. I'm only there for a couple days. I'm sure the time will get filled in when I'm there. So once I was confirmed, confirmed, the first thing I was thinking about was, oh shit, what what am I gonna wear? What sneakers should I wear? And if you're asking someone who works from home, who works in tech to put together a fit, you know, you're asking a lot. We just wear shorts during spring, summer, and track pants in fall, winter, and t-shirts all year round. So I looked in my closet for kith clothing that I have. Really, the only top that I have is the uh, half zip that Christopher Maltesanti wore in that one editorial from 2018, 2017, whenever that was. But I was pretty sure I was going to wear a black fit. You know, when being a big guy, black fit is very slimming. I wear a lot of June J crewnecks. And so then I was checking the weather. It's going to be too hot to wear a neck, So I even brought like a backup fit just in case it was too hot that week. So, in terms of sneakers, when you're wearing a black fit, you can either just wear black sneakers that kind of go with it, or you can wear something loud and obnoxious. So, I was looking at my CDG Air Force One Supreme ones with the split check, CDG Foam Posit, or even Phantom Travis, the Rick Owens Sneaks. That's the direction I was going, but really I decided I was only going to take one pair of sneakers, so the sneakers had to be comfortable, and then ultimately settled on the Kith linen Air Force Ones, which give a black outfit enough of a pop and are also comfortable enough to wear the few days that I'm going to be there. So in terms of travel, I had to get there on a Wednesday, the night before the party, because being from the West Coast, you're going to lose three hours of time. If I had left on Thursday, I would have to leave a here at like 6 a.m. flight, And I wasn't going to wake up at like 3 a.m. to, you know, get to the airport just to get there in time for the party and just collapse at the party. So I just took it easy. I went there on the Wednesday, got there Wednesday night. A quick aside, I saw the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse movies, both of them on the plane. Those are some great movies. I got to watch it again, but... In the second movie, there's a character called Hobie, and he's like this British punk rocker Spider-Man, and in his outfits, he's wearing blue laces, and I don't know if this is a sneaker moment that was talked about. I missed it because I was kind of avoiding spoilers, but in some circles, it's considered that if you wear blue laces, that means that you have either killed a cop or maybe you're anti-police brutality. There's a Nipsey Hussle song called Blue Laces that talks about it, so check that song out if you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not sure if that was intentional, but... Just how well done that whole movie was, I assume it was intentional. But anyways, back to Toronto, I was staying at an Airbnb in the area where the store is. And that store is in the area called Yorkville, which is a very expensive luxury stores and expensive restaurants area. So when I got there, I went for a walk and I posted a photo on Instagram and on Twitter of the store. And I said, I'm outside and... It was, it was kind of funny because people were wondering if I'm trolling, if I'm there to line up the night before, am I there for the party? It worked on multiple levels because I could just say I'm outside and kind of not talk about why I'm there. So the next day, Thursday, the day of the party, during the day, really, I just walked around. That's how I like exploring cities that I'm new to. I just walked around that area. It's rich, rich, that area. There's houses kind of behind the street where the Kiss store is and those houses are probably worth two 3 million. Some I saw it got to be like four or 5 million and just the people that I saw were really nice looking, beautiful people, all dressed nice. So I did what I usually do on travel. I go to these luxury stores and try on things and just waste their time. <laughs> How much is this compared to say a train, which I can also afford. So I did that during the day and I wanted to go back to my Airbnb and just kind of, you know, relax a bit and get ready for the party. And I got my full Toronto experience here where there was a lineup for the elevator. So apparently there's a thing in Toronto where a lot of the condo towers weren't built properly with enough elevators. And there can be lines of up to 20 minutes for an elevator, I guess. That's what happened here. Either some sort of smoke alarm or something went off and the elevators automatically turned off. So they were doing it manually. And at the same time, someone on one of the floors was having a baby. So they stopped everything to go get her. I got the full Toronto experience of a lineup for an elevator. So you got to make the most of the time that you're given. So then I just got ready for the party, and I was just sitting there killing time, posting memes and stuff on Twitter. Cran and I have a mutual friend who was also invited to the party, so I met up with him, and we were hanging out for a bit, and then we walked over to get in line for the opening at 6 p.m. Our name was on the guest list, and we got into the store pretty quickly, and, you know, the store is very nice. It's, it's not overly opulent, kind of one of the criticisms I had of the Paris one. And even now thinking back on that it kind of fit that area of paris and that's what this one does as well too it really fits this area of toronto really well there's the marble counter there's i think i posted a photo of the emboss of the kith logo even in the wallpaper so there's a lot of attention to detail so the clothing and stuff is all on the first floor and then there's a really nice staircase that kind of winds upstairs and that's where they have sneakers and stuff people were speculating that they're going to have a lot of heat that they've saved up for the year but Really, it was more some of the recent releases, like I saw the Palomino Air Jordan 1 and those Cal Footscape Nikes as well, too, that were going to release soon. I didn't see like J Balvin's and things like that. They, of course, had the New Balance for the store opening sneakers and all of the recent Asics that they've released, like the Jalcana 14s that are the Scarab and Antler ones as well, too. I don't think they were selling anything at the opening night party. I didn't really ask, but I also didn't see people walking around with bags or... Uh, people getting sizes or anything. So I just assumed that it was just a party and not for shopping that day. I think when the store opened the next day, that's what the resellers are going after, because those are the ones that were quick flips. Also upstairs, there's like a bookshelf area next to the counter, and there's also a Sadell's and a Kith Treats right side by side as well too. One of the first people I met was Sean Go, YouTube star Sean Go. I introduced myself to him, and I met his wife, and he's pretty tall in person, and he is one of the few guys in the East Coast sneaker scene that I do know. It's just Cran and Sean go. One thing I realized, I'm out of practice with my handshakes. You got to do the dap, shake, pull in, uh, whatever. I was doing things out of order. So if you got a handshake from me and I fucked it up, it's on me. I'm a guy who works from home who's out of practice. I just walked around meeting other people. My buddy Caius was there too. People in the Toronto scene probably know him as well too. And it was just filling up quickly as people were coming in. And once it got really busy in there, I realized quickly that I was a bit in my head too much about the whole, hey, he's sock jig, he made fun of us at one point. I just kind of let that go, left it out of my head, and just focus on meeting the people that I did know there, people that I've talked to online, and not worry about anything else. So I made my way upstairs, and that's where I met people like Andy Oliver, who's a huge part of why there's a Toronto store, and... He told the story about when he first met Ronnie online, you know, like 10, 12 years ago when Ronnie had only a couple hundred followers. And we talked about opening the store, opening the online Canadian version that has no duties and only $10 shipping. So things that Canadian people have long wanted instead of having to pay extra duty on stuff coming in from New York. It was very cool meeting him. We got a lot in common. We're both developers. We're both into sneakers. We're both parents, really cool guy. I also met Alex Wong, a.k.a. Stephen LeBron, who writes about basketball and the Toronto Raptors. And he had saw my Instagram post from the day before and messaged me and said, hey, are you going to be there at this party? Because he wanted to meet me. And, you know, he said it's not really his scene. He just wants to meet real people that he doesn't know there. And I told him, yeah, I'll be there. I'll see you there. And I told him what I'll be wearing and who to look out for. And I said to him, you know, if I knew you were going to be there, I would have brought my copy of his first book, Cover Story, and had him sign it for me. So when I saw him walking around, I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, excuse me, will you sign my book for me? And, you know, so then he figured out who I was. And so it was really cool talking with him for a while. And that's when he gave me a copy of his new book called Prehistoric. It's about how Toronto Raptors came to be in Toronto. And... He signed it for me, and he's really cool, really nice to meet him. So, you know, that's when, like I said, I kind of eased up, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to have fun here, just meet people that I normally wouldn't meet, online friends that I would not normally meet. Also talked at the party with a guy who works at Shopify. He's a big fan of the podcast, he told me, and first thing I did was ask him why did he kill the sock jig, the sock jig method, that is, and much like I basically already know it was because bots are basically automating that. So it had to be done. So we just talked about drops and stuff and he gave some more insight on how they think as a platform, not only when it comes to sneaker drops, but you know, platform overall, when it comes to big retailers and non-hype based stuff, you know, just people selling carpets or watches or whatever. And when I had former CTO Jean-Michel Lemieux on the podcast, J.M. Wind, he basically said the same thing that we're talking about, some of the the platform kind of decisions that they made. And, you know, that's kind of why they did not go raffle way. And that's why something like EQL was able to come up. So anyways, good conversation there. He was someone who knew that I was SockJig and I had messaged with before. So, you know, I I didn't just walk up to people and say, hey, I'm SockJig with one exception, which I'll get to. Most of the time people either already knew or if it came up, then I would say it or I'd be introduced from mutual friends as such. So, uh, you know, I, I was like that meme where uh, I posted where you're at the party and they don't know I'm sock jig anyways. I saw a whole bunch of other people there. I did see a bunch of the East coast sneaker people. I didn't know them, so I didn't introduce myself to them. I don't think they follow me, so maybe they hadn't heard of me. They live in an Instagram world, and I'm mostly from Twitter, and those worlds don't always collide. I did see celebrity sighting Jose Batista. It was really cool seeing Joey Bats from the Toronto Blue Jays. I saw Joe La Puma, He was wearing leather pants. He must have been hot in those pants, and he was wearing the black blue Cortese sneakers. And so he was one person where I was like, okay, I gotta go talk to Joe La Puma At least he was around his crew and all those people. And most of the people who worked at Kith or were in that Kith crew were wearing the red 1700 sneakers. So it was easy to tell who was in that crew. I saw Ronnie then walk around a bit and he was surrounded by people and the cameraman and stuff like that he was wearing those cow print footscapes the the giraffe print ones you know the ones that look like a giraffe's pussy. so he was wearing those and you know he was surrounded at one point i did see one of the east coast sneaker people come up to him and ask him to sign his hat and stuff so Uh, You know, I didn't approach him. I didn't say, hey, I have a sneaker podcast. My name is Sock Jig." Would he be like, oh, that's cool. You know, no one wants it where, you know, I haven't heard of you. Who the hell are you? Oh, you got a podcast? (laughs) Great. Who doesn't have a podcast? And like I said, at this point, I wasn't worried about, you know, uh, maybe he's thinking about that one time I made a joke about Kith or whoever, or maybe he does not like the jokes I make about the stoop, sitting on the stoop in the 90s. But if he did, then he'd be like, who invited this guy? But... Honestly, I'm sure he would have been very nice. In a party atmosphere, everyone is nice. So maybe I should have just barged in and said something, but it's all right. I I wasn't there to kind of get my podcast over. I don't regret it. I'm sure I'll meet Ronnie one day, and I'm sure he'll be on the podcast one day. And around this point, someone started singing, and I had no clue who it was. And I saw Ronnie at that point had gone behind the counter and was listening and enjoying And someone said it was Majid Jordan. And I was like, oh yeah, I've heard of that guy. So I'm there Googling it as these guys singing and it turns out it's actually two guys and yeah, you know, but it was good. It's nice seeing a live song, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld says, I can't listen to a man, sing a song. They get emotional this way. It's embarrassing. Anyways, I went downstairs. I talked with more people and that's when I had a proper conversation with Cran and you know told him I was proud of him and had photos taken with him and stuff like that. And, you know, overall, I wasn't ducking photographers or anything. At one point, I was standing with a bunch of people and we were waiting for the official photographer guy to take our photo. But then someone came in and introduced himself to someone standing next to me. And then the photographer just walked away. So that's just how the party was. There was a lot of people walking around, a lot of people talking. I wasn't ducking anyone. But by this time, the party was kind of wrapping up, and I had heard that the Kith crew with the red sneakers on were all going out for some dinner somewhere. That's when I realized, hey, let me go do one more scan. Let me see if I can go find Joe LaPuma, because Ronnie might not know who I am, but I'm positive that Joe LaPuma does. So I'm going up the stairs, the winding stairs, and who do I see coming down the stairs by himself, but none other than Joe LaPuma himself. So... He is the only person I introduced myself. I said, hey, my name is Pinder. You might know me as Sockjig. He shook my hand and he said, oh, hey. And he said, our biggest critic. And I just said, hey, you guys are doing well enough to have a critic. And, you know, we talked a bit. I basically said, you know, I'm not a troll and I'm not a hater, really, even if it might come across that way. But he was like, oh, it's nice. It's good. He was like, it's good to see you out at these kind of things. And I said, hey, say hi to your guys for me. And he said, oh, I will. And that was it. Two-minute conversation, not even two minutes. I wasn't going to confront him or anything in a party atmosphere. But, you know, there was enough of an edge there. So in my mind, there was a perfect social interaction. Maybe this can be the start of a truce or something. Maybe not. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Let me know what you think. So that was basically the party. After that, I left pretty quickly, went out with friends to have dinner and went to a bar and stuff afterwards and basically called it a night. The next day friday morning you know i was not going to line up for the store people were apparently already lining up after the party was over but I, you know i didn't really need to line up for the sneakers themselves i was able to ask them to have them shipped for me so that way i'm not carrying an extra box with me so i secured the red 1700 new balance sneakers the red one is the more statement one so that's the one i went for like a hype beast i wanted the one that was more exclusive and more rare, but You know, it's red and it tells a better story about Canada and the store opening. So Friday morning, I just kind of slept in. Uh, I could see the lineup of the place from the Airbnb that I was staying at. I did walk by when it opened at 11 a.m. just to see, you know, the store opening. And there's a huge lineup. They were giving out bracelets and numbers and stuff. And they were telling people, you know, you can come back at this time. So I got a number, but I left. And so I went to see the rest of downtown Toronto And the highlight for me was seeing 299 Queen Street West, which was the old MuchMusic headquarters. And anyone who grew up in the Canada in the nineties knows of MuchMusic and Speaker's Corner, but now it's like a TV studio for Bell and it's all papered up, not what it was. And Friday during the day is when they had the J Belvin drop. And I was basically on the sidewalk trying for it at the noontime when it dropped and, you know, was looking at the phone on the sidewalk at noon and it wasn't dropping. You know, I tried for a few minutes and then I just kind of gave up and then I just walked around. And then, you know, I got alert 15 minutes later at 1215 and I tried then, but that's when they had already sent the email out. And I guess people had already checked out five minutes earlier, whatever, just kind of shrugged and moved on. So I met up with my buddy and we had lunch and stuff out there, walked around and then I was going to head back. I went back to my Airbnb and then I was going to, hey, let me go see line up again because I got a number they said come back around one or two and it was about two o'clock then so I decided all right, I'm just gonna line up I'm not gonna bug anyone for access or anything I'm just gonna line up it's probably an hour hour and a half line up at that point and so I stood in line for almost two hours whole time just had airpod in listening to podcasts and music and stuff and it really was (laughs) going really slow and the first half was not bad because you're in the shade, but then the second half when you're in the sun, uh, you know, it was pretty brutal then, but at that point you're kind of pot committed and you can't just leave. And you know, I flew in all the way. That's the only reason I really did line up. Otherwise I don't do lineups. You know, if I had just come in from Montreal or something, I would have just said, screw this. So there was long lineups uh, outside. There was long lineups inside for checkout. And you know, the place is set up for a luxury experience with their two or three iPads or whatever they had, you know, if they really wanted to churn out people as fast as possible, they would have set up a folding table with a whole bunch of iPads, but that feels cheap. That doesn't feel luxury. So lineup is what happens. And from what I've heard, Toronto loves lineups. So that's where I got the t-shirts. The Kith box logo one had sold out earlier in the morning. So I got a t-shirt for some family. I went upstairs to Kith treats. I tried Kith treats. I got an apple crisp you know, the menu, there's like a thousand options on the menu. And then I saw one where I said, Oh, this one's all pre done for you. So I just went with that one and it was really good. And you know, when I was there, I was like, uh, you know, there's one person I haven't met yet Josh who used to work at eBay, Canada sneakers. And then this guy walks by and I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. Hey. And so it was Josh. So that was it. Like the circle was complete. I had met everyone that I was looking out to meet. And so, Talked with him for a while, he was really nice. And he's like the manager on the Sadell side, which is right beside the Kith Treats. And then Friday night, I had went out with dinner with my buddy Caius and some other ex Savvy members that I know, like Hess and Hirsch, and met up with them. It was cool seeing them. And you know, I'm cool with everyone who either worked at or works for Soul Savvy. I, I introduced myself to Lawrence as well, too. But, you know, there's only one person there I have a problem with, and he wasn't there, so uh, whatever. So that was the trip. The next day, Saturday morning, I flew home, and when I got home, I felt my throat was getting sore, and I did a COVID test, and sure enough, I got COVID. So I was sick for a few days, and that's why this podcast was delayed. You know, while I was there, and you're surrounded by Kith, and you're seeing how they operate, and how they build the stores, and... the employees are but also like you know you see ronnie and how his team members are i personally do admire their modern approach to retail they're expanding stores while others are closing we saw atmos closing recently in hannon in scotland nike a few years ago said that you know they want to focus on retailers that have kind of a presence and they want to move away from undifferentiated retail as they called it because those kind of stores won't survive that the mediocre store that are doing the bare minimum are not going to be highlighting a product like a premium, nice store, like I guess livestock or undefeated and Kithwell. Ronnie obviously started in sneakers and expanded to retail and fashion and collections and stuff from there. And in the world of sneakers, he's kind of what every collaborator aspires to be, who has the pull to ask for specific models or projects and does things that others can't. Even Joe Freshgoods talked about it when I interviewed him. And so somewhere along the lines, you know, he wanted to do more than seekers. He wanted to have his own brand. He wanted to have his own stores. And he's doing that all now. It's, it's come a long way the last 10 years. And, you know, overall, Kith, I think, does nice collections. I don't think I've ever seen a bad one. His approach seems to be like, here's what I like in clothes. Here's my style. But it's also a lot of him talking about his history and what brought him to who he is as a person. And that's why you see the stuff with X-Men and Spider-Man and stuff like that. So the whole brand is kind of based around Ronnie's persona and they're always going to be compared to ALD, whereas ALD, Teddy's kind of in the background. It seems to be he pushes the clothes up front and he wants to recede into the background and Teddy does tell some personal stories with, you know, the Greek stuff, but not as much, obviously, as Ronnie does, you know, Teddy's approach to his brand and his style seems to be to push, you know, the fashion that he thinks is going to be cool this season, like the Rico shirt, for example. It's probably not something that Teddy himself is walking around wearing. With Kith, it's the opposite. You could see Ronnie wearing every single piece that they produce. Obviously I know not everyone likes Kith or their clothing, or maybe even Ronnie. Uh, I've made jokes about it before, but honestly, my jokes are usually pretty tame. It's usually about, uh, sitting on the stoop and reminiscing or, uh, the, my other favorite Ronnie joke is that when he's really angry, that's when he moves his hat backwards, like Stallone in the over the top movie. But Ronnie himself is undeniable. You know, he has the authenticity with the sneaker people forever for what he's done. He puts his head down, he builds, he releases. He's what other collaborators aspire to be. And so he's out there setting that blueprint all the time. But he has been changing these last few years, and it's probably related to him becoming a parent. He's got Less time to do a lot of the stuff that he probably did before, and he's got to delegate it more, especially as he's expanding to more and more stores as well. Too, he has been doing fewer of these nostalgia-based drops, and you know some of that stuff you probably can drop. Like if he's gonna do these Spider-Man and X-Men collections, you probably don't need more of these, you know, all-over X-Men print jackets and stuff as he gets older, and that's why you've seen him doing more of the Adidas, Clark's kind of stuff. So. That's the direction I assume Kith is going to, but he's always going to have this hook with people about the nostalgia stuff, so I don't think it'll ever really drop. I just assume it'll either get less cartoony, but I could be wrong. Maybe it gets even more cartoony, because that's all there is superhero movies these days. But back to me, I really had a fun time going there to Toronto. I was joking that I'm just here for vibes and invoices, and... Really, like I said, the the goal was to kind of meet your online friends, go and support those friends. And when they level up, you level up, go and experience a thing that's never going to repeat and happen again. And you know, just have fun and like, don't be in your head about it. So that was the overall lesson about the whole trip and the main takeaway that I have from this. The other takeaway is that you should go fuck yourself.